Welcome back, folks. Well, as I said at the opening, we have a very distinguished guest with us today. In fact, in fact, the girls even dressed up for him today. I mean, this office is dressed better on a Friday than I've seen it in years. So uh, we do feel very honored today to have with us Mr. Steve Forbes, Chairman and Editor-in-Chief of Forbes Media. And I know you all know who he is, so I don't have to give the big introduction. In fact, his, uh, his resume is so long that if I gave it, I'd have had to start about 30 minutes ago. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you one thing that I didn't even know until I read it that I thought it was really interesting. You know, he writes his editorials in Forbes under the fact and comment. I'm sure all of you have read that. I, I subscribe to Forbes. I have since I was, uh, I just got started in this business. So uh, uh, his father used to write under that same thing. But he is the only writer to have won the prestigious Crystal Owl Award four times. The prize was formally given by U.S. Steel Corporation to the financial journalist whose economic forecast of the coming year proved the most accurate. I find that fascinating. Steve, welcome to the show, and congratulations on that. You know, we just we need to put Thank you somewhere in government so you can <laughs> you can forecast the economy. And, and, in fact, if you could just put you in there so I can have an honest figure, so I can get, like, a, a real CPI number that's real instead of, the, instead of the numbers they like to play with. But thank you so much for being with us today. Good to be with you. This, this should be fun. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, you and I, you and I share a lot of uh, uh, similar beliefs, and uh, but one of the things really interesting is you have a, a recent article out on Japan, and and how Japan and Europe are killing themselves. And I'd like you to address that because you know what I try to sh- show people. I, I'm giving a speech here in Houston tomorrow, and one of the charts I'm going to show them is the Japanese bond, and how that Japan has been at zero rates in, for 10 years, and how it clearly shows that putting interest rates at zero does not stimulate an economy. And, no, it you know, doesn't. Set, and, and, and what, so what, what it does that is uh, subsidizes the government. And uh, that's one reason why Japan's economy is stagnating and also why they have been on a binge of spending and borrowing and taxing. And I don't think it's going to do any good. I think the Japanese demographic looks terrible. It looks like the country's almost going to disappear. So why are we following the same model here? Why do you think that Mr. Bernanke and company are, are following the same model when clearly they can look across the sea and see that it has not worked? It's a good question. And I think that uh, the answer is that they are more slave to bad theory. And also they believe in big government and can't imagine that uh, anything else works. Oh, that's, so, yeah. uh, so, well, that's... so what you have here, what you have here, is a situation where they tell themselves, "Well, it would, it would, it would be worse if we didn't do these things." So it's like killing the patient, but saying the patient would have uh, died sooner. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, I, we keep hearing that comment that you know, yeah, things are bad, but they would have been worse if if we hadn't done something. Well, that's that's uh, the only thing you can say after you mess things up. You know, yeah, but your baseball team loses a hundred games. Well, if we hadn't done these things, we'd have lost one hundred and twenty. Yes. <laughs> So the whole world is kind of, you know, if you look around now, you've got the United States, fairly lethargic over here, to say the least. Then you've got Europe, which clearly looks like it's in a recession. Do you think that Europe is going into recession now? Uh, much of Europe is in a recession, uh, except for the Germans, and uh, they're going to be affected, too, by what's happening. Uh, you look at uh, Spain, very bad situation. Italy, bad situation. We all know about Greece. Uh, France is slowing down. One reason why uh, they made that change in government so uh, Europe's in bad shape. Japan is stuck in the water. And the amazing thing is, even though uh, Japan has been on this rut for uh, years and years, 
you know what they have in the pipeline for new taxes? They're going to raise the uh, income tax rate to a high of 55%. They're going to uh, raise payroll taxes, capital gains taxes, gasoline taxes, inheritance taxes. They don't get it, and the Europeans don't get it yet. Yeah, I want to ask you about taxes, but I've got one more question before we get into that. Do you think that the world is basically, because you've got all those countries that you just named, and we've got the United States, and then it looks like China is not too healthy either. They're trying to determine whether or not it's going to be a hard landing or soft landing them. But clearly the metals market is telling us that things are slowing down in China. Do you think the world is just basically overindulged for this last generation and that we're going to have to do belt tightening all around the globe in order to get this straight? Well, what you have is uh, they binge on the spending, and at the same time they raise taxes, which is a lethal combination. So they don't allow the private sector to grow. We know in Europe they've got the terrible labor laws, so rigid labor markets, which hurts hiring. They have very high taxes, which hurts uh, enterprise and risk-taking. Same thing in Japan. And that's why our election is important. It's not just our health. But if we start to get things right, I guarantee you, uh, the rest of the world will be forced to follow suit. And uh, we saw that in the 80s with Ronald Reagan. You don't remember that, Mike, but in the early 80s, we had a terrible time. Uh, Reagan comes in, puts in tax cuts, does other good things, deregulation. And uh, in the next few years, 50 countries around the world cut their tax rates, including uh, formerly socialist ones like Sweden, uh, because of the example of the United States. So this election is a big one for us and for the world. Yeah, I'm 61. I've been in this business for 37 years. And I remember he had a tough time initially. He really had to push some of that legislation through, but it really worked. You know, there are a lot of naysayers saying, no, 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 this is not going to work. And it worked beautifully. Well, let's talk about taxes, because I know that's an area that's uh, particularly dear to your heart. If I understand things correctly from reading and listening to you, you really would like to see some type of flat tax system. Well, that's right. Uh, You know about our current tax code in the Declaration of Independence, a little over 1,300 words, Constitution, a little over 7,000 words with the amendments, the Holy Bible. took centuries to put that together, 773,000 words. And the Federal Income Tax Code, with all the attendant rules and regulations, not just the code itself, but everything with it, 9 million words and rising. It's been changed 14,000 times in the last uh, quarter of a century. So there's only one thing to do, I think, and not to try to redeem the thing, but just bury it and start all over again with something like a flat tax, exemptions for adults and for kids, low single rate, and get rid of taxes on savings, get rid of the death tax. You see this country really come to life. We could actually... Uh, use our brain power for something productive. Well, Steve, you've been around a long time, both in business and politics, and the IRS uh, and the collection of tax revenue in this country is just as embedded of a bureaucracy as you could possibly find in in Washington, D.C. How do you actually think that we can get past this? This, I guess, goes to what the last question I wanted to ask, but it seems to be timely here is that, as I said, I'm 61 years old. I've been around a while. I've seen a few things. And what's frustrating me, and it's frustrating our listeners and our consumers out there, is that it doesn't seem like the leadership in Washington, D.C., or Wall Street, in areas where they need some modification, really wants to do anything. And uh, obviously, we have a, a whole party that wants to continue to spend and keep kicking the can down the road. Realistically, how are we going to get out of this mess? Well, that's why we've got to do a change, not just in the White House, which is critical, but also uh, on the congressional level. We uh, did well in 2010, but that's just one house of branch of government. 
But uh, you look at some of the primaries. Uh, look what happened in Indiana. A six-term incumbent got beaten in the primary because of uh, activists, Tea Party people, and uh, others. And uh, that's what we have to do more of. Get good people in the Senate and the House. That also means that you can get start to get some good stuff on the desk of a new president. And I think Romney will win, by the way. And if uh, the thing lands on his desk, I think he'll sign it. So uh, we got to work on all levels. Well, Romney certainly is the answer for Mr. Renanke, because I think he's clearly stated that he's not going to let him continue in that position if he wins. But it'd be a good thing to get Bernanke back in the classroom where he can only harm students' minds instead of the global economy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he, he's he, he's one of those guys that, I mean, he works good, in, he looks good in theory, but he doesn't look good in practice. Do you think that uh, the Tea Party helps the Republicans? There's been some criticism out there that they're kind of disruptive in some of the things they can do, but they're not big enough to be able to deliver on the big election day. Is, is the Tea Party a help to the Republican cause, or can it be a divisive factor in the Repub- in the re- elections this coming fall? Well, the Tea Party, I think, uh, helped save the Republican Party. Uh, the Most of the Tea Party people, and it's not one organization, as you know, it's numerous local organizations, right. people, uh, citizens becoming involved. And unlike Occupy Wall Street, which is a relatively small handful of people who make a lot of noise and get a lot of coverage, the Tea Party, the mainstream media, uh, kept trying to find things to uh, disparage it, to criticize it. But uh, 99% are good citizens doing their thing, and they had an enormous impact in 2010. They're having an impact this time around. So I think it's an enormous plus. It, the press just continues to demonize them. Yeah, you're right, they do. I've got another question I want to ask. I want to kind of take a take a sharp left here. I've had Dr. Natanyara Hensel on. I don't know if you've met her. If you haven't, she's a fascinating woman, and, and you're going to want to track her down. Uh, she used to be the uh, chief economist for the Navy, and now she teaches up in Washington somewhere, some military establishment, it sounds like. She's the only economist that I've had to state that she does not think the euro is going to make it. She's not just talking about Greece, that, that she feels like uh, there's a possibility that the euro will, over time, just dismantle itself. Now, there's been a lot of arguments about that, but I found that fascinating, and I think what kind of piqued my interest in her comments about that, and I've had her on twice, about six months apart, and she stated that the first time, and then the second time I just kind of, do you still feel that way? And her answer was yes, was that the, because she's been aligned in government and so involved in government, that she would have some political exposure that a lot of your academic economists and your Wall Street economists that I have here on the show do not have. Do you think the euro is going to make it, or do you think that we'll see the dismantling of the eurozone over the years? I think political will is such that the Germans, who are the paymaster for Europe, will keep the thing going. How many will have the euro? That's another matter. The problem with the euro is that the governments are pursuing the worst kind of policies. Austerity is fine for the public sector. They need to tighten belts there, Lord knows. But they keep piling on taxes on the private sector, which makes it impossible for those economies to grow. So uh, the euro could work if you had a system that allowed people to uh, practice a thing called free enterprise. They don't do that. <laughs> Nothing's going to work. <laughs> yeah, it, again, it almost seems like free enterprise is being... Uh suppressed all around the world. I mean, I, I really think that in my tenure on this planet so far, I think things are even less free here in the United States than they used to be. There's, I think you could be selling hot dogs on the streets in New York, and, and you've 
probably have to get so many permits that you know you feel like you're being oppressed by the government to do that. They get yeah. you on so many small things. It's, it's, it's how tyranny comes, not one big sweeping thing, but all the little things add up, and suddenly you find you can't move anymore. There's been a lot of conversation about the the, the fiscal tax cliff that we're coming to, where uh, on January we go back, we revert back to a lot of a lot of higher taxes, particularly. Uh, of concern for a lot of Americans uh, is the increase in taxes on dividends. Do you think that that we will go through that, or do you think do you feel that Congress will do something to mitigate that before we get to January first? Uh, well, I think that even if they don't do it by January first, since I think Governor Romney's going to win, what you're going to see is the first thing Congress does in January after he takes the oath of office is to extend all of these for six months so that uh, we can uh, do these things in a rational manner and uh, so and make them retroactive. So even if they don't do something in the lame duck, and I think there's a good chance we will because uh, this is going to hit tens of millions of people, especially on things like the alternative minimum tax is going to smash the middle class if they don't do something, that something will be done. But I think it just goes to show why is it that every few years, we a couple of years, we have to go to the cliff on uh, things that uh, will just uh, damage the economy. And that's why we need a fundamental change instead of these crazy rules that always makes it impossible to plan for the future, which hurts our future prosperity. Yeah, these elections are extremely important. I have one last question for you. I'd like to ask it to my guest. Is there anything out there, either economically or politically, that keeps you awake at night, that, that you worry about personally that keeps you awake at night? Well, the prospect on January 20th that the incumbent uh, retakes the oath of office. I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, you can't rule the thing out. So uh, that's why uh, I think all of us have to uh, roll up our sleeves and help uh, candidates on all levels, because this, this is the big one. This is the big one. This is. Well, I tell you what, Steve, I ask that question to everybody, and you're the first person who is worried about the same thing I'm worried about at night. So that's, that's, a, that's the one thing that keeps me up at night. Listen, thank you so much for being with us. I know you have a very busy schedule. You're a very busy man. We are honored to have had you today, and I really well, appreciate it. Well, it's a great honor to be show. with you, Mike, and uh, keep up the good fight. <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Have a thank great you. weekend, sir. You too. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Hey, listen, folks, like Steve Forbes said, this is a very important election. No matter how you feel, this is not a political show, so I'm not telling you how to vote, but it's a very important election out there this fall. There are a lot of things that we need to do to change the country. There's a lot of initiatives we take. We're, you know, we're going to have to bite the bullet on some things. When, if you've heard me give speeches, I freely say that if you're under 55 years of age, the chances of you having Social Security right now, as things are structured, are zero. It's just zero. All right. You can look at the numbers. I don't care how you want to play them. I don't know how you want. I don't care what you do with them. The number is zero. Now, if we make some changes and do some things, probably not. But the number is zero for a lot of reasons. So we need to make some significant changes going on out there. And every time that we reach the point of being able to vote our leadership is when we get to affect that change. And so it's really, really important out there. So I thought Steve Forbes was great. I thought he had a lot to say. We are improving here in the United States. Our economy is improving. We're not out of the woods yet. doesn't mean the market won't pull back. You've heard me talk about that. But we are improving here in the United States. And I think there's something that he said that I thought was very interesting in the fact that we can be the leader in the world, that if we make the changes here, everybody else will follow, both in our fiscal policy and our economic policy. And I thought that was really, really interesting.